return is very close And so you better be believing that our God is an awesome God Our God is an awesome God Welcome to a service at Holy Life Tabernacle in Brookings, South Dakota. We are proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Now let's go into the sanctuary and here's today's message. We thank God for today. It's always a privilege to be in the house of God. The Bible says that in the house of God there is fullness of joy. And at his right hand, there are pleasures evermore. So I believe that this morning, God has loads of joy for us. Yeah. And any time we encounter God, our lives are not the same again. We will start our Sunday school. And I'd like to pray before we start. We give you glory, Lord. We thank you and honor your name this morning for our very lives. We thank you for the privilege to live. And we thank you for the opportunity to be in your presence. We commit ourselves to your hands and ask that even as we go through your word, you visit us in a special way. May we be blessed. May we be impacted. May our lives not be the same again. We thank you and we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. So today for our Sunday school, we'll be looking at the topic, the weapons of our warfare. The weapons of our warfare. And we'll take our scripture reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. Bible says that, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for pulling down strongholds. Amen. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for, the pulling, for pulling down strongholds. So when you read scriptures, you know, from Genesis to Revelation, you know, Bible actually likens the life of the believer or the Christian life to two things. The first thing Bible normally likens the Christian life to is a race. You know, Bible always depicts our Christian life as a race. And then the second thing that Bible, when you read scriptures, Bible normally talks about is life of a Christian being like that of a war or warfare or like a battle. Okay, so when you read Galatians chapter 5 verse 7, Paul was admonishing the church in, in Galatians and, you know, he, was, he saw what was going on in the church. One thing he realized was that they began very well. They accepted Christ. They were serving God. But eventually, they started going from the spirit into the flesh. So when you read scriptures, at the point Paul was actually, you know, insulting the church. He said, are you foolish Galatians? Why do you, now, why do you start in the spirit and end up in the flesh? So when you look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 7, the Bible talks about the fact that, he said that you were running a good race. In this scripture, he said that you ran well. In other, in other versions, he says that you were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? And this version says that you ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? So here we see Paul likening the Christian life to that of a race. A race that the believer is running. In Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1, Bible talks about the fact that as believers, as children of God, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witness. 
So Bible admonishes us that we should lay aside every sin and every weight that easily entangles us. So we can run with endurance the race that is set before us. So here we see the life of the believer also likened to that of a race. And here the writer of Hebrew is making us to understand that each and every believer is running a race. And there is a finish line that is set ahead of each and every, everybody. Now, he also points to the fact that in the race, there are certain things that can impede you from finishing. There are certain things that can, you know, prevent you from running the race with endurance. And he talks about sin. And when you read the next verse, the verse 2, the Bible says that looking unto Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. So what Paul was trying to say is that, you know, Jesus is our standard when we run the race of life as believers. All the, 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 the person we have to look up to is Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says that he is God, but he came in the form of flesh. Even though he was tempted like we humans, yet he was without sin. So as a child of God, if you really want to run the race of life, the standard to look up to is Jesus Christ. Because he lived a sinless life. You cannot look to a man. You cannot look to a man of God. You cannot look to a woman of God. You cannot look to anybody on earth as a standard to help you run the race of life. There are so many people who have stopped going to church. There are so many people who have stopped serving God because they saw something about the man of God that actually was an obstacle to their living the life of God. So humans cannot be a standard. That is why we have to look up to Jesus. When the Bible talks about looking up to Jesus, one other thing it also means is that when you listen and you look to the opinions of man, you'll be distracted in the race. When you listen to comments people make, when you, when you look at the things that people say, you might be discouraged. You may not be able to run the race of life. So if there is anybody to look up to, then look up to Jesus. If there is any view, if there is any opinion you have to you know, actually embrace as a child of God who is engaged in a race of life, then it should be the opinion and the views that Christ himself gives. And then the last thing about looking unto Jesus is that in every race, we use a lot of energy. You know, when you, when you are entangled, when you are running a race, sometimes you get weary, sometimes you get tired. And that is why athletes sometimes, you know, taking glucose and all that to, you know, boost their energy so that they can be able to run the race. So if, if you run the race of life, sometimes you may have challenging times. Sometimes things may not work out well for you. You may be weak, you may be tired, issues of life will be bombarding you here and there, and it slows your pace in running the race. And Bible said that, come unto me all thee that are weary and are tired and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your soul. It is Jesus who is talking about that. So when we look up to Jesus, he refreshes us. When we look up to Jesus, he gives us enough energy and impetus to carry on in the race of life. So, Bible likens the Christian life to that of a race. But there is one thing which is about the warfare. In Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 11, the, the teacher said something. In Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 11, he said that I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor battle to the strong. So, here the first concepts I started talking about is that life is likened to a race. And it is likened to a warfare or battle. So I'm zooming in to the warfare. That is our topic, the weapons of our warfare. So here we see the writer, the, the teacher in the, in the book of Ecclesiastes, 
trying to also liken, you know, our life as believers to that of a battle, to that of a war. I don't know whether it was a revelation he saw, but from the preceding verses, he realized that it was like a vision God gave to him. He was, you know, taken outside this world, and it was like he was standing above the earth, and he was, God was trying to show him the things that are happening on earth. And the revelation he saw is that all the activities we engage in as children of God, all the things we do is likened to that of a race, or it is likened to that of a battle. And when you read First Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, Paul was giving Timothy a charge. And he said that Timothy should wage a good warfare. He was saying that because of so many, there are so many prophecies that had been given to him, he is encouraging him to wage a good warfare. In, the verse, in chapter 6, verse 12, Paul was also admonishing Timothy that he should fight the good fight of faith. So the warfare that we are talking about, the battle we are talking about, is actually a battle of faith. So as children of God, we are contending with the enemy, or the enemy is contending with us for our faith. And that is the ultimate the enemy sees, you know, the, the, the position God has put us in, you know, the great grace we have received by accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and personal Savior. We are on our mark and we are tracking and we are running and we are waging a war and making it to heaven. So the enemy's contention against us, his battles he's waging against us in the flesh and even in the spirit is to cause us to lose our feet. So that was what Paul was talking about. That's why sometimes scripture talks about the fact that the, the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit also wars against the flesh. Bible also talks about the fact that light and darkness, you know, you know, contend against each other. But light, darkness cannot comprehend the light. So eventually God will come out, come out victoriously. Hallelujah. So ending it up, when Paul was just coming to the end of his mission, Bible says that in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 7, he said that I have fought the good fight. Here we see the Christian life also compared to that of a war. I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. So the ultimate is keeping the faith. The ultimate in our race we are running, the ultimate in the battles we are engaged in in this life, the contentions, the enemies, you know, contending against us is for our faith. So I always say that in any battle, you always have to strategize. So the devil is actually a strategist. And all that he does is that he tries to you know, locate the spot in the life of the believer where the believer is very vulnerable. That is more or less linked to his feet. So anytime you are fighting with somebody, you want to look at the weak point of the person, the weak area of the person, so you can have a hold on the person. So the enemy as a strategist, right from creation, all that he does is that he looks at the loopholes in your life which is more or less attached to your faith, something that he can touch, that will also compromise your faith. That will not make you a candidate for heaven. That will cause that salvation, that grace that you receive through Christ Jesus to be lost. That is all the enemy is, talk- the enemy is working about. And that is what the warfare we engage in life is about. So sometimes people think the enemy is you know, interested in their money, the enemy is interested in their, their kids, the enemy is, you know, the enemy do all these things not because he's actually interested in them, but he's contending against your feet. So that you reach a point in your life where you'll be bitter against God and, 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 and fall and fall automatically. And just, so we have believers who were so much on fire for God, 
but through because of events, you know, turn of events in their life, now they are more or less like pagans. Because they are, they are bitter and they are even saying that there is no God. That is the level the enemy wants to get the believer to. And that is why believers go through all crises. That's why God says that as believers, we shall face so many tribulations, but we should be rest assured that he has overcome the world. Amen. So, let's look at the nature of the warfare. The nature of the warfare we are engaged in. So, a lot of believers don't even know that the life we are living is actually a warfare. You know, and anytime you are ignorant about this, you are already defeated. You know, a believer who actually knows that there is a warfare and has fallen, you know, is encouraged to even rise up on his feet to continue to fight the warfare. But where you have no idea that you are even in a warfare, you become like, you know, a toy to the enemy. So the enemy sometimes wants us to be ignorant about the fact that we are in war. That is why the Bible says that we should not be ignorant about the devices. We are not ignorant about the devices of the enemy. So, the nature of the warfare. In Luke chapter 4, verse 1 to 12, I just want us to look at, you know, the temptation Jesus went through or the temptation the enemy faced Jesus with when he fasted and prayed. So, in the book of Luke chapter 4, Maybe we will read through. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered, answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give, I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. The verse 10. So he was tempted again. Yeah, yeah, so... Therefore, if you will worship, yeah, verse 7, Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Amen. So we want to look at the nature, we want to use these scriptures to look at the nature of the warfare. So Jesus Christ, you know, when you read the account of Matthew, you know, and then Mark, Bible talks about the fact that he allowed himself to be baptized by John, and then when, during his baptism, the Bible said that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him like a dove. And then he confirmed the sonship of Jesus Christ. God confirmed the sonship of Jesus Christ. And thereafter, Jesus was led into the wilderness. Amen. You know, Jesus came to fulfill all righteousness. So anytime I read this scripture, what I just said, is it, it just reminds me of the life of somebody who accepts Jesus Christ as his Lord and personal Savior. You know, when you accept the Lord as your Lord, as your Lord and Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior, 
automatically the spirit of the Lord, you know, comes to indwell you, and then you are now positioned to start the battle as a Christian. Amen. So that is how it is. So I believe that Jesus was just trying to show us the way. As much as he is the way, the truth, and the life, we have to believe in him, accept him, before we can get to the Father. His ways, he, the, the ways he lived also showed the pattern for Christianity. You know, he wanted to show a way. So if somebody who accepts Christ, he get baptized, he comes to the church, he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he begins to live the life for God. So that is something I see about Jesus Christ allowing himself to be baptized, even though he is God, and, you know, going through all these phases. So, you know, the battle line or the war was actually drawn right after he came from the Jordan. So anytime you become a child of God, know that you have been recruited or you have been placed into a war front. Definitely the fact that you carry the name Jesus as a child of God means that you become a target for the enemy and he begins to contend with you for the faith. So here, you look at the first question the enemy posed to Jesus Christ on the mount, on the, on the, in the wilderness when he was fasting. He said that if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, turn this you know, stone into bread. Now here I see the, the, the assault of, of, of the enemy against Jesus in, in the level of sonship. He was actually assaulting the sonship of Jesus Christ. And that talks about the relationship with the Father. So most of the time, the enemy actually targets our relationships with God. So he came and his first question he posed was that, if you are the son of God. He was actually attacking the sonship, the relationship he had with the father. Now, and this is evident because when you look at all the three, you know, temptations the enemy took Jesus through, two of them actually started with, if you are the son of God. The first one, when he asked him to turn, you know, stone into bread, and then the second one, when he took him to the pinnacle, the temple, and he said that if you are the son of God. So, there we see, you know, when we talk about sonship, we are talking about whole honor for the father. You know, whole honor for the father is actually involved in sonship. So, true sonship means taking up the honor of the father. So, if you are a true son, you know, of God, you, you take up the honor of God. If, if you say that somebody is your father, you actually represent the person. And a true son always makes the father proud. Hallelujah. A true son always makes the father proud. And sometimes when, you know, a child is doing so well and excelling in academics and all that, and the person is taking awards, more, more, more often you see the person being accompanied by the father or the mother or the parents, you know, to show that they are proud. Or even if the parents don't even, you know, accompany the child, when the child receives the award and the child is, you know, giving shout-outs, then, you know, he mentions the name of the father or the mother, thanking them for all the efforts, you know, they have put in his life and the support they have given. You know, a true son will actually make the father proud. But any time the, the, the child becomes a vagabond, the child becomes a wayward child, you know, the father also suffers the shame. So here, our relationship with God, it tells us that, you know, the, the, the nature of the warfare is that the enemy is actually attacking our relationship with God. So that is why he posed the question to Jesus, if you are the son of God. So the focal point of the enemy is constant attack on our relationship with God. He always tries to drive a wedge between us and the Father. He always tries to, you know, bring up things in our lives that will make the Father's wrath, you know, raised up against us. 
And that is the nature of the warfare. That is why the Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren in, the, in Revelation chapter 12. When he was held down from you know, heaven unto the earth, said that woe unto the earth because the accuser of the brethren has been brought down amongst you. So all that the enemy does is actually to bring conflict between us and God. He does not want God to extend his grace and forgiveness unto us. He always wants us, you know, to be in such a way that God, you know, God's wrath will be what? Rekindled against the children of God. So he attacks our relationship. And that is why as children of God, the Bible says that we should be sober and vigilant. Watch our way so that the enemy does not plant that thing in us so that he takes us away from God. So he was able to succeed in creation, you know, when he came to the Garden of Eden. He was able to, you know, break that relationship that man had with God. He tried to turn upside down everything that God has said. You know, he said that God, you said, God, did God say that don't eat of the fruit? No, he's lying. He gave a different command altogether. And he made man doubt God. And because of that, the relationship between God and man was actually cut off. And man was driven away from the garden. So the attacks of the enemy, one of the nature of the attacks is that he actually comes to conflict with our relationship with God. He actually is a divisive person. He divides our relationship that we have with God. But thanks be to God that the second Adam, who is Jesus Christ, was not ignorant about the devices of the enemy. So I pray that even as we go through the word of God, don't let the enemy intimidate you and don't let the enemy take you away from God. Sometimes he can be, you know, reminding you of past sins. He can be bringing so many thoughts, so many things, that will make you feel so bad and so guilty and that you can no longer even approach the throne of grace. He comes, you know, and one of the nature of his warfare he wages is that he wants to actually destroy our relationship we have with God. But thanks be to God that we are not ignorant about his devices. When you, when you look at the second thing, it's about our, the relationship to the world. So when you look at the second temptation, the Bible says that he took him to the mountain. And when he took him to the mountain top, he offered him, you know, the kingdoms of this world and its glory. He said that all these things have been given to me. All these things have been given to me. And if only you are going to worship me, I'm going to make all these things abundant unto you. And here, what I see, I see Jesus torn between two things, you know. You know, the devil was trying to offer a fast track approach, you know, of giving Jesus Christ authority and power. Even though, according to the will of God, Jesus was supposed to take a more painful and a lengthy route. And the more painful and the lengthy route was that he would die on the cross, you know, he would go through this world, he would die on the cross, and through his death on the cross, through his crucifixion, you know, he would be able to reconcile man to God. And Bible says in the book of Philippians chapter 2, verse 8 to 11, Bible says that, because he humbled himself, even unto death, you know, death on the cross, God has given him a name that is above every other name. Such that at the mention of the name Jesus, every knee on earth, you know, every knee, he said every knee in the heavens, every knee on earth, and every knee under the earth, you know, shall bow down to Jesus and say that Jesus is Lord. But you see, the enemy wanted to give him an easier route. And that is how the devil wages his warfare. You know, he tries to bring, you know, shortcuts that are sinful, shortcuts that will severe your relationship with God, you know, and, and it may look appealing to you, but if you fall for it, then you, lo- you lose the battle. 
So he wanted to give Jesus positions, you know, rewards, influences, and all that within a twinkle of an eye, just because he wanted Jesus to bow down to him. But if you realize what he was giving to Jesus, he was actually giving Jesus the kingdoms of the earth. But the plan that God actually had in store was three times better than what the enemy was giving. Because God was actually giving him, you know, the heavenly kingdom. He was giving him the earthly kingdom and even the underworld, you know, under the earth. And that is what, you know, so that is, that is what God does in the life of the believer. You know, the plans that God has for the believer are perfect. The plans that have for God has for the believer are awesome. The Bible said that eyes have not seen or ears heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man what God has in store for us. But you see, sometimes it may be very painful. Sometimes it may tarry. Sometimes it may be very challenging. And the enemy, knowing that, you know, he can contend against your faith by offering you a shortcut, by offering you a shorter route, will come in. And that is the nature. That is the nature of the enemy. He tries to bring the world to us. So sometimes, especially in Africa and other places, we see these things. You see a young Christian lady who has completed college and... And, and, and maybe desperately seeking for a job, you know, they are not, we don't really have so much jobs, but seeking for a job, and you see the, 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 the boss would like to say that, oh, I can give you this job, if only you can compromise your purity and sleep with me. We see it all over. And these are some of the strategies of the enemy. I actually have encountered that. I had a friend I completed college with, a lady friend, and I remember after school, any time we met, we used to, you know, we used to board the same transportation. So we sit in the car and we chat. When we get to our destination, she goes her way. I also go my way. But for a long time, I wasn't, you know, meeting her in the, you know, wearing meeting. And I was, I met her, I think, three months later. And I asked her, why, why has it been a long time since we encountered each other? And she was saying that she was having a lot of issues and challenges with her job. But I remember the first time I met her, she was, you know, how she was telling me about her job is a good job. In fact, uh, she, there is so much in store for her. She was so much passionate about it and all that. But she told me she has just quit her job. I said, oh, this job you made so much noise about and all that. And he said that my boss actually wanted, you know, normally in Ghana, when you complete college, you don't just start work. You do what we call the national service for a year. You serve the nation for a year. So you'll be put into a company and the government would rather be paying you, not the company. The government will be paying you for a year. After that, if the company sees that you are very hardworking, they can recruit you. So she was doing the national service, and the boss wanted to, you know, have an affair with her so he can guarantee her a job after the national service. And she, she is more or less like the breadwinner for her family. You know, her younger siblings depend on her, 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 her dad had passed away, so it was her mom who struggled to take her through college. So this was a very good opportunity for her to get sorted out so that she can be of help to her siblings and also support her mother, who is also struggling. But then she looks to herself and asks herself, I'm a child of God. Should I do this? But she told herself she would forfeit the job, and even if she doesn't get any job, she will still be happy in the Lord. And that is how the enemy, you know, comes in, wages war, bringing shortcuts. Sometimes you need money, you know, there are bills, you have to pay certain bills, your, your, your child is sick, you need some money, you know, to buy drugs and all that. And in your workplace, people are using dubious means, you know, to make money quicker and faster. The enemy will be telling you that God even knows your problems, you know, fall for it. 
and you shall be sorted out. Your issues and your challenges will be solved. And if you are not trusting God enough, you lose this warfare. And then when you give in to the enemy, the enemy is able to you know, lay hold on your feet. So here we see God or Jesus also presented with a decision of the world and to make a decision for the enemy or a choice for God. And thanks be to God that he was able to rebuke the enemy. So I think our time is up, but we spoke about the nature of the warfare. We have understood that as in our Christian race, in our Christian life, it's, it's like a race or it's like a battle. And the battle is not for any other thing but our feet. And the devil just wants us to lose our faith in God. And he uses so many ways. And we're talking about the nature of the warfare using Jesus' temptation. And we spoke about the first two temptations. Maybe another time, God willing, we'll have time and talk about the third temptation. And then we'll talk about the weapons of our warfare. So this morning, shall we bow down our heads and, and just thank God for this message? So, Heavenly Father, we thank you and we give you all the glory. We give you all the praise. We honor your name, O oh God, for a wonderful time like this. We thank you for giving us your word about the warfare the enemy wages against us. We thank you that this morning you have not made us ignorant about the devices of the enemy. We thank you for all that you have taught us. It is our prayer that you strengthen us, you fortify us with your word, and you grant us all the ammunitions we need to be able to stand against the wars and the waging wars the enemy brings our way. We pray that help us, O oh God, that our faith will not weaken. Help us that we'll be able to hold on to this faith and be able to give a good account of ourselves when you appear in your glory. We want to bless you and we give you all the praise, even for an answered prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this inspirational message. We trust that you were encouraged in your faith. For additional information or resources, please contact the church at 605-692-4616. You can email us at holylifeatbrookings.net or visit our website at holylifetabernacle.com. If you're in the Brookings area, please stop by to visit a service. We are located at 241 Mustang Pass, just off Main Avenue South. Our service times are Sundays at 10 a.m. and 6.30 p.m., Also, Wednesday nights at 7. God bless you.